comes ahead on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. Foot race the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand and with me as always is the scarf collector himself, Logan Stump. Oh, I'm the scarf bandit. I love it. No, um, yeah, I got, got my DC scarf today. I'm, I'm super pumped. It's the Skyline one, so that's pretty cool. So now I'm up to three. And you won got, another one, didn't you? Um, no, I... <laughs> yeah, no, wait, you're right. I did four. I'm up to four because I won RSL today. Um, I won RSL. I've got DC United. I've got... Uh, the SKC one, which I think is actually my favorite one so far because just the fabric it's made out of, it's really nice. And then I've got my Orlando one. So I'm up to four and I'm making my way. And I've been lucky, like I've signed on and good timing and, and found scarves that are like six bucks on eBay. So that's been fun. Everybody check eBay. It's a really good place for all those things. Kits too. Like if you want a kit from last year. Oh like yeah, that's where, I get all, that's where I get all mine. Right now, it's there or Ross at this point. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, we're, we're previewing the New York Red Bulls, or as Todd called them numerous times on our podcast, the, the New Jersey Pink Cows, right? <laughs> um, so let, let's go ahead and, and talk some Red Bulls. Who do we got uh, today with us? Yeah, so we got Joe Goldstein. Um, sorry, I was on mute. Uh, yeah, we got Joe Goldstein. And he is from the Sing Red uh, podcast. And then he also has a podcast called Raising Bulls. And it's a youth podcast for the Red Bulls, too. So we have him coming on today. He's excited to talk some, some Red Bulls and uh, maybe his thoughts on some Caden Clark. It seems like Caden Clark comes up in all my mentions here lately. So definitely looking forward to this one. I want to get his thoughts on the new Coca-Cola energy drink and if he thinks that's better than Red Bulls or, or not. <laughs> uh, it's so confusing, too, when you go to type in Red Bulls. So I'm like, when you're It always does graphics. the apostrophe S. Yeah. yeah, well, that, and then it does that, and then it's like, oh, you mean Red Bull, like the drink. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. And then it's like, oh, you mean Red Bull, like Salzburg. I'm like, no, that's not what I want. <laughs> like, please leave me alone. Yeah, so we're going to go ahead and bring him in now. The Stateside Soccer Show. Talking the beautiful game in the land of the free. Breaking down Major League Soccer, US Men's National Team, and more with Logan and Jordan. 
And we are now welcoming in Joe Goldstein from the Seeing Red podcast. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing quite well. We're we're on the cusp of real soccer again. It's it's exciting. Yes, it doesn't feel quite real, but as a union supporter, uh, the Champions League is next week, so that is coming up really quickly. <laughs> yeah, and I imagine you want to get going. Last year, a little bit of a heartbreak, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially, yeah, the playoffs. And uh, heartbreak is pretty uh, a general term when it comes to Union at times, like those Open Cup final losses and all that. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to hear Union fans <laughs> complaining about Open Cup losses, yeah. okay? <laughs> I was going to say, Jordan, you're just kind of rubbing all this in. Man. This isn't kind of you at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think most of us um, – with the exception of, of very few markets are used to heartbreak year after year. Uh, so if, if you could, the, our first question for you, uh, for the listeners here is how long you've been covering the team and um, like where everybody can find your work. Uh, this, this year is uh, 11 years. I think I've been covering the team. Um, I, I don't do any written work anymore. I'm, I'm strictly in the audio sphere now. Uh, You could find me on uh, Seeing Red New York, uh, the podcast that is all about MLS version of the Red Bulls. And I run the Raising Bulls podcast as well, which covers the New York Red Bulls too. That's really interesting. It's cool that you have like the the Raising Bulls one, because I feel like that's not a... um, You know, covering the youth and covering the the, the, um, Red Bulls 2 team, like I feel like that's kind of unique. I don't see many podcasts covering you know, specifically the MLS two clubs. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we're a little bit um, unique in that there's, a, there's a couple of other shows out there for sure. Um, we're part of the beautiful game network and they have all kinds of USL stuff. Uh, and um, you know, they've always done a good job of covering those, those two teams, but uh, few and far between. And, you know, I think attendance probably speaks to why you don't see more coverage of those teams, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I love watching the young guys play and come through the system. And um, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit further, but because of the way the Red Bulls are set up now, um, it's a really good look at, at sort of uh, gauging the temperature for, you know, the success or lack of success to, to come. Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you just a little bit about um, as far as the, the stadium's concerned and, and just the overall understanding i guess that um you uh nycfc coming to, to play in your home um just kind of kick this off but they're coming to play in your home uh they, they're sharing and, and i listened to your last podcast i thought it was great when you were talking about it, it was kind of like that others <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, but could you kind of just speak to like the dynamic between uh red bulls and nycfc because it, it's it's something that's it's quite entertaining and and to be honest with you when you look at the other side of, of that part of uh you know, the rivalry, it's, it's pretty ugly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does get pretty ugly. I think, um, I think the way that the, the teams, uh, were sort of pitted as rivals from the beginning, there was a lot of, of consternation of, you know, this is a manufactured thing, but that did eventually manufacture a pretty strong rivalry. Right. Um, and, uh, I don't, I don't know of any specific problems from the last year, uh, when they were there, um, you know, for a number of games, obviously not having uh, fans there helps. Uh, but 
uh, in the past having, you know, sort of, of uh, it being disrespected in, in terms of them, like uh, creating um, um, uh, uh, destruction and or vandalism around the arena, I think really uh, has, has bothered a lot of people within the club and, you know, the supporters as well. And so the idea of having more of them there more often is, is tough for a lot of people to swallow. I know that, uh, that there is a little bit of the, um, a joy that exists inside Red Bull fans of, of watching them struggle because they don't have their own home, but at the same time, they don't want it to be their home that is, uh, uh being inconvenienced as it were. Um, but you know, uh, I, I think until they can get a plan in place to build a stadium or, or do anything significant in, in the city, you're going to continue to see these. I am very worried that, that at some point they're going to become a permanent uh, um, occupant, like the, like the Jets and the Giants. At the I was say, yeah. The, yeah, the Meadowlands. And I was uh, you know just thinking about the different New York teams that have tried to share buildings at times and it seems convenient, but unfortunately for those fan bases, it's not necessarily uh, something they really like. But um, I can't imagine being NYCFC and playing in Yankee Stadium um, it's awful. while looking it's across an awful the way. Field. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely exactly. brutal. Um, it always reminds me because I'm a Cubs fan. It always reminds me of when they try to play football on Wrigley. I'm like, uh, well, I don't know why you do that, but that's <laughs> like, beyond my control. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, as somebody that was you know, following this league since, you know, like 2007, it's, it's frustrating that we were at that point where, you know, they were not allowing expansion teams to come in without a stadium deal, but then they just opened the door for the Yankees and city football group because they're the Yankees and city football group and let them have a team without having a stadium deal. Now this is where it's backfiring, right? Like where they um, are constantly looking for other homes, whether, they got bumped to like Connecticut was yep. a few years ago uh, where they were playing in Hartford at times. And then uh, now last year, I think, did they play they, some at Red Bulls last they, year too? They played at Red Bull arena last year. And yeah. I think at some point they also played at Shea stadium or maybe yes, there was a plan Yes, they did. Team? Cause they yeah. couldn't use the Yankees cause they were in the playoffs. I think it was um, at some point, but yeah, it, it's just so frustrating. Um, you know, that they let that happen. And now this is where it comes to. And I could, definitely see like you said eventually nycfc yeah. if their stadium because <laughs> they they haven't sorted out stadium and it's been you know uh, six years now or whatever uh, uh, build, building something like that in the city is incredibly yes. tough and especially because this the city itself has already gone through a a number of uh, tumultuous construction projects around stadiums right and so you know with all that in mind and and the red tape just in general it's going to be a very long time before they really get something up there. I, I don't expect them to really jump ship um, necessarily, or at least not on a permanent basis uh, because the league is very, very interested in having uh, a, a, an actual stadium in uh, the city proper. So I would, I would still expect that that would happen at some point, but you know, <laughs> I'm, not, yeah. I'm not feeling good about them being in the RBA. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so our first question here for the for the club itself, other than the, the stadium question there, but uh, more specific to the 2020 season, we usually ask our guests to reflect on the season as a whole. What were some positives that came from 2020 and what are some things that the, the club or 
staff had learned uh, heading into 2021? Well, I think it's almost impossible for me to really separate the 2019 and 2020 seasons, um, or at least the beginning of the 2020 season. The the Armist tenure from his first season as a, a full head coach um, through the middle of last year uh, was difficult. I think uh, a lot of people saw the transition, even during the Supporter Shield run in 2018, um, as being a little bit problematic. Um, because the team looked like they were they were trying to force themselves into uh, what we around the the New York soccer scene have called Plan B. They they're always looking for Plan B, a way for uh, them to play against teams that have have figured out how to to break the counter and to break the press. And so, uh, for a long time, that looked like trying to gain possession and. Uh, uh, um, be a little bit more dynamic in the attacking third, a little bit more patient, which is very counter to the Red Bull style of play. Um, early on, there were some positive results, and I think Armas did a good job of, of um, managing games early in his tenure, uh, but that largely eroded by the end of 2019. I was one of the, the, the people who... Um, Definitely ate my own words on on this one in in terms of saying you know be patient and uh, I think that you know you got to see what's going to happen when um, Chris gets his players and and what that team is going to evolve like um, uh, it did not go well the team didn't really gel very well I think a lot of the uh, the loss of leadership last year uh, left left the team. Uh, or, or sorry, the previous senior leadership that they lost uh, heading into last year left the team in a place where um, it felt, uh, I don't know if rudderless is, is the right word, because I think Sean Davis did a nice job coming in as captain uh, and trying to sort of write the locker room, but it was clear that there were some issues in the locker room uh, that sort of played out on the field. It didn't look like uh, the team really knew what they were doing at times. And uh, it looked like the players lost faith in, in Chris by the end of it. Now, talking to a lot of the guys, you don't necessarily hear that. But so the season as a whole, I really look at as, as those two parts, the sort of continuation of 2019, where uh, they looked um, I'm sort of rudderless and, and uh, identity-less. And then when Bradley Carnell took over in September, they sort of were able to get back to basics. They added a very uh, exciting piece in Caden Clark. Uh, at the same time, Drew Yearwood came in and I think uh, looked pretty good. Although, he, you know, uh, I think he struggled with fitness a little bit down down the, uh, the stretch. Uh, but the team in general looked a, a lot more alive and a lot more confident because they were, they were doing what they had been doing uh, years ago when Jesse was still here with the team, Jesse Marsh. Uh, press, quickly transition, uh, find uh, a chance, you miss it, uh, reset. And just by doing those things, it, it helped. But I think overall, the talent level um, was not up to snuff last year. And I think a lot of the sort of roster churn that's happened since then really speaks to uh, wanting to strengthen positions all over the field and uh, try to find a way to um, uh, maximize the pieces that they have uh, while they they search to kind of create or bring in these um, sort of next 
uh, superstar kind of players. So like a Tyler Adams type who can develop within the club, you know, be it at RB2 or, or uh, brought in as a young guy with the senior team that could then move on uh, to bigger and better things. Yeah, so you, you mentioned some of the senior leadership. And last uh, February, they brought in Kevin Thelwell, who was a former sporting director at Wolverhampton and Premier League uh, over in England, uh, had really, really great success with them, uh, was with them uh, when they started down, I think it was third tier, and, and then made a nice uh, leap up into the top flight of England. And he had a big role in, in developing some of those players. And I know that he's talked about some of the guys that he's brought in um, to Wolves. And now that those kids are now playing really well for Wolves and have those, those kind of roles. But um, can you guys just speak to, to, I mean, I know he was handcuffed pretty much last year. It comes in a real rough spot. Um, not really any job that anybody would probably want, but can you kind of just speak to, to his first off season now that we're pretty much done with the off season here in 2021 and then what he's looking to do for Red Bulls? Sure. I think, I think, yes. When you look at uh, the last two transfer windows before this one um you know there was a lot of excitement about kevin and him coming in uh the pandemic made uh, i'm sure acquiring players much more difficult and still did probably through the winter however um looking at what he's done so far this offseason uh you see like caden uh, clark was sort of the the um precursor to this but he, he, they bring in uh 18 year old welcome in carmona um very, very uh, unheralded, um, lots of potential, lots of upside, but hasn't really done anything quite yet. Um, you look at Yuba Diara, he's another guy, he's on loan uh, coming from Salzburg and he struggled with injuries. He hasn't been able to get on the field. So there's this potential there that they see that they want to try to bring out. Tom Edwards is in the same kind of way. Once heralded, struggled a little bit, had a problem maybe with his coach uh, and then struggled to get on the field. Um, Andrew Gutman, although that's a, a weird one with him coming from Atlanta, uh, he's on loan there, uh, but they wanted to, to bring another young guy who knows the position, um, and, uh, maybe, maybe a little bit undervalued. I thought he was very good for Cincinnati last year. Um, and, uh, the Red Bulls absolutely have to strengthen the left side of their defense, but you look at those kinds of players and, um, um, if Fabio, who's on loan, and and Andreas Reyes, who they they bought, uh, these guys are all in the sort of eighteen to twenty three year old bracket. They they're young, they are hungry, they are looking to take the next step in their career, um, but they need uh, sort of more time to develop. They they see a coach like uh, Gerhard Struber, who is um, uh, very experienced at developing young players from his time with uh, Red Bull and Lifering. Um, and it, it looks like um, it looks like a lot of these moves from, from a fan perspective are sort of uh, low-key and maybe even disappointing. Uh, but these are our heralded guys in a lot of cases. Um, Cameron Harper is another good example of that, a, a winger they brought in from Celtic. Uh, he's one of the guys who um, is uh, probably uh, one of the top players in in the 2001 age group, but he's struggled to get time in the places he's been. So they've got a lot of talent coming in. A lot of it is very raw. I'm excited about that direction for the club because of how much I've enjoyed watching the young players develop. And I think 
in, in general, you're going to continue to see these kinds of teams. They want to find guys, um, not, not necessarily guys who, uh, are in their, their late twenties who have maybe struggled in a couple of stops, but these young guys who still have a lot of, um, clay left to mold, uh, and then could become assets in the future. And they, they think they can also uh, win by doing this. And I think uh, they've proven in other places they can do it. Now, can they do it in MLS? It's, it's, it's interesting and difficult. So you just mentioned uh, Gerhard Struber, uh, who was just hired uh, at the end of the season, uh, late in 2020. Um, as he's about to step in for his first full season, what do you think we can expect from him? And what sort of style or gameplay is he looking to bring to the Red Bulls? Uh, I think it's going to, it's going to look a lot closer to the Jesse Marsh Red Bulls uh, with the exception of, of maybe a, a sort of compact diamond in the midfield. Um, in years past, we've, we've seen, you know, maybe the single pivot or the double pivot uh, where they've got a, a more deeper lying midfielder like Christian Caceres or Tyler Adams before him. Uh, a guy who's more of a shuttler like Sean Davis, uh, and then someone who would then spearhead the attack. Most recently, that was Kaku. Uh, but I think you're going to see something a little bit more of a hybrid of that diamond where all of those positions, even the wide position in the diamond, are really more of a central midfielder position. You're going to see a lot of overlap from the wingbacks uh, to create the width, uh, but those guys in the middle are going to be responsible for creating opportunities by pressing and, and sort of uh, um, popping the ball out <laughs> wherever possible and, and smuggling it. Recoveries was a, a big part of their success under the Jesse Marsh teams, uh, being able to, um, you know, you turn the ball over, you win it back in you know, two or three passes. That's been something they've really struggled with without having somebody who has a tireless engine like Tyler Adams, who could, you know, gobble up everything in the midfield or Dex. McCarty before him who did a similar kind of thing so they've really missed that piece of it um, uh, and when you're playing a game where so much of of your game plan is high risk high reward when you press like that and you've got your numbers up the field if anyone's able to break out of that you put yourself a tremendous disadvantage and um, without having a guy like that who can who can win the ball back they left themselves open for a, a number of attacks and I think really uh, uh, struggled to to kind of right that wrong and it's not a simple answer uh, they they maybe have the personnel to do it now but I think adding uh, a, an additional number to, to sort of that central core and having four players in there it'll gum up the works a little bit but uh, all of those guys being able to pass and distribute uh, greatly creates uh, or greatly helps the the effort to create chances after the turnover, and I think that's uh, the the big thing that you'll see from Struber. So he's going to rely a lot uh, on youth. I mean, if you look at the roster, just the, yeah. in the depth chart, I mean, it's a lot of youth. Um, which you know, in, in this league, I, I hope that's where we're headed to. And and I know you cover uh, Red Bulls too, too and you, you've talked some about that pre-show. Um, can you kind of just speak? They had an affiliation that they announced uh, back in January uh, with uh, some of the teams that are local. Can you kind of just speak to their yeah, youth? And... Yeah, you look at a lot of the clubs like uh, Gachi was part of that affiliation that they announced. And that uh, the number of players who have come through Gachi is astounding. Um, 
you know, the, I th- the, one of the most recent ones I can think of, I think it was Omir Fernandez. Um, but it's just, the, it's all of these local clubs produce a tremendous amount of talent. And obviously the Red Bulls are looking to very much rely on the Academy to create these sort of pros who are ready to step up and, and to take that next leap. John Tolkien, uh, who plays left back, is, is sort of a, a, one of those prototypical players. He's only 18, hasn't gotten much time with the first team, um, but uh, when he's played for Red Bull 2, you can see he's got a lot of these qualities that uh, would make him uh, um, not necessarily uh, um, uh, an automatic success, but uh, it, it would greatly help once he's, he's sort of able to get the, the um, details of his game together. Uh, that, that's sort of a long-winded and rambly answer to that. No, but no, no. Um, uh, I think when you're able to pool as much talent as possible, it's a little bit easier to find things that are going to stick. Whenever you've got an academy set up, you know, if if you can produce two or three players over the course of you know a decade who are um, at the level that Tyler is at, that's a tremendous success. So the the greater uh, amount of players you can sort of filter into that system the more likelihood you're going to find that success and i think in general what ultimately i i think you know teams like the red bulls and other teams that are looking to develop young uh, players through their academy dallas and so forth they want to see the restrictions on um, uh, territories uh, loosen significantly so that you can just go out and find these players. But right. for the time being, having these local affiliations and having so much more data on players because they're part of the umbrella, that just makes it so much easier to identify talent and then to nurture that talent. Uh, so moving on from the general questions, more to the attack uh, in depth here, you mentioned Fabio a little earlier uh, and also you have up there, Barlow white and Royer uh, who do you think has the leg up to maybe uh, potentially gets the most minutes uh, up the, up at the top of the attack? And then also uh, just any more information you have on Fabio. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount that I have on Fabio is tremendously limited because mm-hmm. we ha- we've yet to see him play here. What right, I have seen right. is, is mostly highlights and uh, he's quick. He's good with the ball at his feet. He's tall and uh, able to uh, create him, uh, himself as sort of a nuisance in the box. All of that stuff is good. You want to see guys who can hold the ball up well in the system because, you know, there's a, I think a, 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 a need to be able to play long out of the back uh, should the, should the need arise when, um, when the Red Bulls were, were sort of at their best with this, you had guys like Bradley Wright Phillips who could uh, win the ball pretty easily in the air. Um, at the two team level, uh, Brandon Allen was one of those guys, uh, um, uh, Stefano Bonomo, uh, Brian White has some of those qualities. So you need a guy like that who can, who can kind of assert himself, not get uh, knocked around so much by a back line uh, and, and be that physical presence um, who can wait then for teammates to sort of join in the attack. And I think that's the idea that they have with a guy like Fabio. And then outside of, I think he's got to be starting. He's only here on a three-month loan. Uh, and if they're going to get, um, if, if he's going to be somebody who does uh, catch on with the team, you're going to see him starting pretty early on. Um, even with the amount of, of um, rotation, I think you're going to see from the Red Bulls this year. 
hopefully you see a lot of Fabio at the beginning. That would be a promising sign. Um, he's only, I think, got eight games to prove himself uh, before his loan is over. So it, it, it'll be very interesting. And then I personally think that Brian White is the most talented of the strikers on the team. Uh, he can be um, a little bit uh, of a poacher, uh, but he's he's not... Um, He's not bad with the ball at his feet and he can pick out a good pass. Uh, he's got a decent cross on him and uh, his running and work rate is another one of those things that I think endears him at least to the fans who, who care for him. Um, but he and Tom Barlow both struggle a little bit uh, to get the ball on the net, uh, especially last year. I think, I think evolving um, player roles made it a little bit difficult for White and Barlow uh, last year, because both of those guys are talented uh, and capable, but they both they both struggled early on. And I think trying to work back uh, into a place of confidence has been a little bit difficult. But of the two of those guys, I think White's probably the the better option. And Danny Royer, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure we're going to see him playing a lot at striker this year. I know last year they wanted to do that a lot. I don't think think that he excels with his back to the goal. And I think that's a, a big thing that you have to be able to do uh, as a, a striker in the system. So I would expect him to be more of a, a wide presence if they're going to uh, employ a different uh, tactic or like bring him in as a late game sub. So in, I mean, besides, uh, or beside those uh, guys up top, you, you've got the wingers that, and, and you were going through the list and, I, and then I was thinking about it and it's even younger than I thought it was on the wings. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, Florian Velo's the, the, the Wiley veteran and he's only 26, I think it is. So uh, he, uh, he's, he's 28, but like, he's 20, oh, okay. still, I mean, at 28 to be like <laughs> right. the old guy. Yeah. Right. To so be that. And then, you know, you got guys, I mean, they're kids in their teenage or teenage years. So um, as far as like the wings are concerned, and I know there was a lot of talk about Caden Clark um, mm-hmm. over the summer, um, mostly um, dealing with uh, different linkages uh, to different clubs and playing and, you know, international duties and different things like that. And it just seems like the Caden Clark uh, name was very popular on Twitter, but can you kind of just speak to, you know, the options on the wings? Um, I know you mentioned some about Carmona earlier, but uh, who do you see going forward and, and, with that formation, is that something that changes up a little bit or is that say pretty much the same with, with some of these guys? Yeah. I think that that, if you're going to be looking for more of like a traditional wide presence, I'm not hundred percent sure you're going to see that game in game out. Cameron Harper being added to the team sort of threw a wrinkle in my idea of that tight diamond um, in the midfield, because he is a, a sort of, I don't know about celebrated, but uh, uh, he he's definitely more mold of a, um, run to the end line type of winger. Right. Um, and so I, I think, um, based on, uh, his, um, uh, being acquired by the team, uh, I, there were some reports early on that he wouldn't be interested if it wasn't going to be a starting spot. Now, I don't know how much of that is true. And, uh, as a coach, I or a GM, I certainly wouldn't feel pressure in this setup to just say, yeah, okay, well then you're a game in game out starter for us. Um, but I do expect to see him quite a bit that the team certainly seems to be um, trying to push him a little bit in front of the camera and, and press because maybe he's not as heralded as um, uh, he deserves, but uh, uh, he's a guy that they, they, at least in these early stages seem to have a lot of faith in. 
Um, so I'd expect to see him there. I think Clark, if Caden plays, I think he's going to be more of a central midfielder um, rather than on the wing, but, but we'll see. I think he's, he's sort of a guy that you want him to be spearheading the attack when, when he played with Red Bull too. And I enjoyed watching him the most. It was generally when he was playing underneath the strikers. So I think that that might be a better place for him. And um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know with the, with the setup. So if they go with, uh, more of a, a sort of central midfield um, diamond. Then you're going to see guys like Sean Davis, Christian Caceres, um, you know, Drew Yearwood or, or um, uh, Yuba Diara. Uh, and if they're playing sort of a more wide look, then you would you would see more of a Cameron Harbor. You know, you could put Caden out on the on the wing, though I don't think it's to his best abilities. Um, or uh, uh, Omir Fernandez, who is another tremendous talent that maybe slips under the radar as well because he's struggled to, to get consistent time on the pitch. But when he's out there, uh, you could see he's an incredibly talented player. I was going to say, Jordan, that puts your team to shame with the uh, 17, 18, 19, <laughs> 22. <laughs> <There's> def- <laughs> they, they're definitely competing in terms of uh, age of these kids. It's unreal. That's awesome. uh, the youngest kid they signed this summer is a uh, uh, a midfielder named Bento Estrella. He was 14 at the time. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, I, I've only seen a little bit of him. Uh, and he, he is, he's like just this big body 15 year old kid who uh, <laughs> he's, he, he looks good with the ball at his feet. And I, I'm very interested to see how he develops. I, I would keep an eye on him. Uh, keeping with Caden Clark though, as well, uh, you know, Logan kind of alluded to the move that was reported in January where the Red Bulls and MLS are finalizing an agreement to send him to Leipzig in 2022. Is that the last update on it? Is that they're still just finalizing it? Or is it for sure that he's going next year since uh, he couldn't until he's 18 due to the FIFA regulations? Right. To my knowledge, I haven't seen that as a done deal, but I wouldn't okay. be that surprised that it, that it would be close or done. And I would expect him to at least play out the season here before heading overseas. I think at least like in, in terms of, of storyline and, and sort of narrative um, that I would like to see play out and I think would be most beneficial to the Red Bulls in general would be he stays here, has this sort of breakout Aronson-esque season uh, and, you know, moves along to, to greener pastures. Uh, but I don't think, I think just like Cameron Harper, you know, despite the fact that he's incredibly talented, I'm not sure that you can just immediately pencil him in as a starter day one, but he he's very good. And um, I think still, you know, not, not really close to his ceiling just yet. So, I mean, with young, with the young guys uh, being eighth uh, in the East and goals scored last year. And I know last year's just kind of a crapshoot at this point, but um, you know, looking at consistent goal scoring, um, are you confident in the attacking front? Uh, is there possibility in the summer that they're looking to add? You know, I know you said that, uh, what is it, eight matches that you said that um, yeah, Fabio for is going to yeah. get to play and they can kind of pull that trigger. Is there anything else that they're looking to add or where you see goals coming from this year? Um, oh, man, I cannot remember uh, the player's name to save my life. Haksabanovich, I want to say. Uh, Saeed Haksabanovich um, was a guy that they were looking at that, um, they couldn't quite get a deal done there. Uh, I want to say he plays in one of the Northern European leagues. Uh, regardless, uh, it's clear that they're looking at to add attacking talent. 
um, Fabio was sort of a, a maybe a, a plan B or C uh, when they were unable to get him. And uh, short answer is no. Right now, I'm not uh, 100% sold on uh, that group going forward. I think that you have a lot of good pieces here, but you need a lot of things to go right for them to be uh, ultra productive for any one of those guys. I think right now what uh, they're hoping for is to get production out of just about anybody in that midfield uh, or on the field in general that they want to become sort of that, that pesky team that is just going to, you know, kick you until they get the ball and get a goal. Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> we were just I talking about that. I pressed unmute and it didn't take. Okay. Um, talking about uh, if we look at Caceres, um, who had, uh, you know, under Armis may not have had a clear role or sense of direction. Do you think a coaching change helps uh, Caceres at all with this team or what you're expecting from Caceres on this Red Bull team for 2021? Yeah, I think, I think it will. I think, um, I think a lot of people wanted uh, Christian to be uh, a, a prototypical defensive midfielder like Tyler. And I don't really think that they have those same qualities. Christian is, is much more of a box to box player. Uh, he's good with the ball at his feet. He's willing to take shots from the outside, which I always like. Um, and he does have a bit of de defensive bite, but I don't see that as, you know, one of his main attributes. He's also very smart in terms of his positioning where he trips up, uh, for the most part, or at least last year, uh, he created a lot of turnovers uh, from sloppy passing in the midfield. And, you know, like I said, this is a high risk, high reward uh, soccer that you're talking about here. So turnovers in the midfield are tremendously bad. There were, I think it was, you know, three or four goals right away at the beginning of the year that uh, you could trace back to uh, uh, balls that he turned over. And I'd like to see him um, uh, be a lot more uh, more tidy with the ball. One of the things I've always liked about uh, Sean Davis, uh, uh, who is is generally paired with him in in some way, uh, and the captain of the team, is he's not the flashy player. He's very workmanlike and uh, generally very good at taking care of the ball. Uh, and I'd like to see him grow into more of that kind of a player and, and uh, push himself in, in terms of, of being a little bit more defensively responsible and then a little less uh, risky with his passing uh, the further back he is on the field. And I think with Struper coming in and sort of, you know, all accounts are saying now that uh, one of the big changes are our player roles are far more uh, defined than they had been which, I mean, you can't look at that any other way than say, uh, you know, maybe that's a little bit of a slight to Chris Armas. Um, but with that in mind, I mean, when you give players a, a clear understanding of what they should be doing out there, you're going to get better results. And I think that would absolutely be the case with Christian as well. I was going to say, so carrying the ball forward more is, is that more his style? I, I know that they, they relied on him some to do that uh, in, in the attack last year, or is he more like a, like a, you know, deeper lying midfielder, kind of like a six. Cause I know that in a couple of depth charts that I saw or people were writing about him, they said maybe he could lie back in one of those uh, defensive roles. If they're going to go into a formation that just has the one that sits back deeper. 
I think if he if they're going to cast him as that, he's going to need a lot more uh, um, of a transition because okay. I think he tends to want to get forward because he is good with the ball at his feet and he is he is savvy and he he can create goals uh, from outside the box or uh, finish off um, or, or uh, uh, create sort of those like uh, uh, key passes that, that lead to goals. Um, and as a six, him doing that could be very problematic because he leaves the back line exposed. So as far as, I mean, looking at the six and looking at somebody that's in defensive mid, um, what are some of the options? I know that I saw on your guys' Twitter that you said that the, the Yearwood Davis um, battle that could be something to watch in the preseason. Yeah, I, I think that. So what's weird about the way that the, the Red Bulls are currently set up uh, is that they have a lot of those number eights and not much of a number six. And so maybe uh, in, in my perfect world, if they're going to go to that, uh, that tight diamond that I, I was talking about earlier, um, that becomes less of an issue because you have all these guys who are capable right. of doing those things and, and being able to cover for each other. Um, but right now I don't see a clear answer to that solution. Certainly Sean Davis um, is a player that I, I love. I, I think that uh, he's tremendously underrated uh, even among Red Bull fans. Um, and part of that has come from his being cast as a number six uh, quite a few times in his career. And it just, it doesn't look good for him. It doesn't stick. Uh, and it puts him in a position to fail. And so hopefully we don't see him down there. Although again, I think, you know, as, as long as he remains captain, I, I would be surprised if he's not on the field. Um, but I, I think uh, Caceres, uh, Diara, and Yearwood are going to be sort of pivoting for that that role. I, I still don't think uh, Caceres is uh, a six, but I think um, I, I think one of those three guys is more likely to end up in the bottom of that diamond. So moving to the defense, um, just generally, what did uh, Red Bull fans see from the defense last year and where are places that they hope that they can improve in defense in 2021? I mean, left back, uh, number one, you know, to go from a guy like uh, Kamara Lawrence, who uh, was generally uh, extremely reliable, uh, very rarely took any plays off and, um, you know, could you know outrun almost any offensive player in the league uh shutting down a side is is a huge thing to have the loss of him uh was exacerbated by the struggles of a guy like jason pandant um and you know pat segrist i think started the year he was not quite ready i think to jump up to the level and have to perform the way that the red bulls needed him to um, so that right away, I think, stood out as a place that they needed to improve. Getting Goodman uh, is probably a, a big step towards that. Um, and then losing Tim Parker um, was a, a big deal. Uh, you know, he's not an old guy, but he's not the young guy. Um, Aaron Long uh, uh, and and Tim, I think, formed um, one of the best center back pairings that the team has ever had. But once things started to break down around them, um, I think it exposed a lot of each of the players' faults. I think Tim struggled a little bit uh, when the ball was on the ground. Aaron maybe struggles a little bit 
marking men in the box uh, and, and patrolling the air. And with, with the team creating these issues for themselves by turning the ball over or struggling um, with ideas in the final third leading to turnovers, uh, there, was, there was maybe even more blame placed on the back line than maybe was deserved at the time because these things were manifests of, of other issues. So in general, I think um, people wanted to see a little bit more of a, a return to a lockdown defense that they'd seen in the past. Um, and uh, uh, they also, I think the Red Bulls internally wanted to see a little bit more um, uh, uh, of an ability to pass out of the back, uh, which they haven't really been able to do. And, and certainly that wasn't Tim Parker's best attribute. So I think that was something that they really wanted to improve. They go out, they've got Sean Nealis in the team, really not that kind of a player, but uh, he could sort of do like the, the bruiser thing that Tim Parker did. Uh, they were very impressed with uh, uh, Andreas Reyes and maybe see him as sort of uh, a, a nice pairing in that way with, with Aaron Long. Uh, but they, they definitely want to find a, a center back duo who is a little bit more capable of moving the ball with their feet and um, uh, uh, can create sort of this, uh, the partnership that Tim and Aaron had had. At right back, I don't see it as a, um, as much of a, an issue for the starter. I thought Kyle Duncan was very good, uh, but they brought in Tom Edwards, who is capable of pushing him for a starting spot. I think Mandela Egbo, who had been there with the team last year, couldn't really do that. I think when he was on the field, uh, he had a couple of, of very nice moments, but struggled defensively in ways that um, maybe again, like, like uh, Jason or, or Tim or, or Aaron, maybe he took a little bit more flack because of other problems on the field, but I was never sold on, on him when he was out there. Uh, so it, 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 they bring in a lot of players. They have to fix the, the wing back positions and center back, I think is, is maybe up for grabs but Andreas Reyes probably has the inside track. So as far as full, uh, the fullback spots are concerned, would it be what probably Gutman um, getting some of those critical minutes and then Duncan on the, on the right back side? That would be probably my guess at the, yeah. at the least because Edwards seems more like a, a Struber Thalwell pick. I think it's possible that he would come in and challenge for that starting role. Um, but I think right out of the gate, Duncan and uh, Gutman would be the wingbacks. Uh, so you mentioned Aaron Long earlier. Uh, just as a whole, you know, he's been in the U.S. men's uh, national team camp. He's uh, had some interest from Europe at times. Um, ultimately, he stayed at New York, uh, whether it was, you know, uh, his decision or not, I guess. Uh, but what, what do you think has made Aaron Long so attractive to other clubs? And what have you been impressed with with his time at uh, New York? Number one, uh, he, he reads the game very well. He's very smart about tracking player runs. He doesn't give up on plays. Uh, he's, he's got speed. I think it's a little bit deceptive because he doesn't look very fast, uh, but he, he, can, he can turn the motor on and uh, catch up to a play. Um, because he is a midfield uh, midfielder converted to a, a center back, he's got the the chops uh, with the ball at his feet that 
maybe gives him a leg up in uh, against some other players. Um, and talking to these guys after the matches and, and talking to them into in the locker room and stuff. One of the things that always stood out to me with Aaron is he's, he's got a very short memory and uh, a, a pretty sunny outlook. Uh, maybe that's just him being uh, a, a sort of California boy at heart. Um, but he doesn't let, let any of, of sort of those failures um, or, or struggles, um, you know, knock him down for very long. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, maybe that's a little bit born out of, you know, where he's from, but also probably part of his story of just, you know, getting drafted, not really knowing if he was going to stay in the game. Um, you know, teams didn't want him. This was maybe a, a, a sort of like a last stand for him coming to New York. Um, and then he just had this, you know, tremendous, uh, trajectory from from that 2016 USL team up until where he is now, and all of that uh, that's that whole story makes him uh, a valuable asset for a club because you know he can pass uh, and impart that wisdom to younger guys, um, and you know I think that part is invaluable. And that outlook and that that sort of sunny disposition in the locker room, uh, it it helps. It helps tremendously when the chips are down that you have a guy uh, who can help pick you up. And I think all of that makes him a an extremely um, attractive prospect. I know at this point, twenty eight, he's not really a prospect anymore, but um, he he is a a an an athlete's athlete, and he he puts the the hard work in. And those kinds of players are are few and far between. I was gonna say watching the watching the U.S. men's team play and watching him against Jamaica and then Northern Ireland. Some he 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 impressed me. I mean, looking at the back line, uh, he he really did. He impressed me. He looked like it, it wasn't you know anything different. It looked like he was comfortable. It looked like he uh, you know commands that back line really well. He played well against or with uh, John Brooks. I think that you know I think it surprised people when you hear because they made sure to mention it like always that he played in MLS. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's with MLS Red Bulls because they wanted to make sure they got the right Red Bulls on that. Uh, yeah. But again, I was I was like you said, I was really impressed with and he's going to need it with the U.S. men's national team because failure seems to be a, a word that's being thrown around with us lately. But um, he does forever and ever. Right. So that I mean, just having that that uh, every day is a sunny day kind of disposition is, is really nice to have. But yeah. kind of moving on from. Uh, you know, some of those starters, uh, are there, are there some pieces there that they've added as far as depth that, I mean, it's going to be a busy 2021, like with Aaron Long, who, who will maybe see some time away from the team because of the camps, but um, are, are there some depth pieces that they're looking at to kind of step into those roles when some of these guys might be gone? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think I hit a lot of them like Yuba Diara right. and, and, and um, if Bento Estrella ends up playing any minutes in MLS this year, that I mm -hmm. think would be amazing. I don't know if I expect that so much. Um, I think you're going to see more of the usual suspects than not. Uh, maybe, maybe get Tolkien on the field a little bit more. He is uh, sort of a left back for them, but I've seen him play that defensive midfielder role. Uh, not sure that he's going to be cast to do that here, but it's something that he could possibly do. Um, and no, I don't think there's any uh, a particular depth pieces. I think you look at all these guys and you don't see that there's a, a tremendous, uh, you know, um, um, valley in terms of talent. 
uh, between the starters and the guys on the bench. And I think just based on the way that the Red Bulls play uh, in their nature, there's going to be a lot of rotation game in and game out, even without the, uh, the, ex- the other competitions that they have to account for. Um, hopefully that means that we get to see a little bit like of guys like uh, Wilkem and Carmona or Bento Estrella, like I said. Um, but I, I, I would expect to see all of, all of this roster to get significant minutes. Um, well, maybe not. Okay. I'll, I'll take that back. I'll walk it back a little bit. I think um, all of the roster who remains with the MLS side uh, and doesn't go on loan to USL is going to get uh, significant playing time this year. To round out the defense, uh, we want to talk some goalkeepers. 24-year-old Carlos Miguel Coronel uh, joining on loan from Salzburg. Uh, is he the clear-cut favorite to start, or who, who do we have penciling in for a uh, starting goalkeeper? Well, you might you might have a better idea of Coronel than I would, because um, <laughs> he played with you guys. Undefeated for the Philadelphia Union. Um <laughs> I think probably because he seems like he is a, a Struber guy that um, maybe that gives him a leg up here. I think he and, and Ryan Mara uh, are, are probably well positioned to fight that battle. Um, my heart says that, that Mara has a leg up. My head says that Carnell has a leg up, uh, but both of them say that David Jensen is probably not long for uh, the roster or will mainly be a guy who's around for, um, uh, depth purposes. Uh, uh, if I've, I had to say right now, I would probably say Mara, but I, I would not be surprised to see Carnell out there. All right. And our last question is always the, what would be a successful season for the Red Bulls? Uh, is it, you know, just making playoffs? Is it uh, making some sort of run? Uh, is you know what would be the a certain a certain seeding of the playoffs maybe what would be successful for the Red Bulls this year? Okay, I'm going to give you three answers. Uh, that way, I can't I can't be wrong at all. <laughs> yeah, that's um, good. I got to start yeah. doing that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first, for me personally, I think a successful season is to uh, get back to not being uh, an embarrassment. I think there were times last year where the team didn't look like they put in any effort. They looked disinterested. Um, a lot of that came towards the end of Chris Armis's tenure with the club. Um, and I think, you know, you want to, you want to see teams that play against the Red Bulls really have to work for victories. That that's the entire mantra around this club is that uh, they need to put in effort to, to force the ball over. They want to be pesky. Uh, and we didn't get any of that. So for me, I want to see them get back to that, which I think will naturally lead to um, a, a greater win and goal differential. Um, so for me, that's the success. I think for um, the Red Bulls, they want to uh, make sure they're developing players. Um, in particular, uh, Red Bull 2, in the past, when I've talked to John Wallenek, the head coach there, um, we've talked about this idea of development versus winning. And the clear answer that I always get from John is that those, those aren't mutually ex- exclusive. If you're developing players in the right way, you're, it's going to lead to uh, good results. And in general, they want to see these guys qualify for the playoffs or make a deep run in a cup, um, you know, like the open cup, uh, because they want to see them in more high pressure situations because they think that is paramount to uh, development, to put them into those, those tough uh, environments and, and 
sort of forge uh, these players uh, through that. So for them, they want to make sure that uh, every player on the roster uh, improves during the season uh, and that they qualify for the playoffs and go as deep as they can. And then the third uh, thing that I will say is that for fans, uh, any hardware I think is important. There's a large subset of fans that uh, the supporter shield is the be all end all. And there is, I don't know if it's a larger uh, section, but there's certainly uh, a sizable crowd who MLS cup is the only uh, real um, success uh, or the only thing that's determined success at the end of the season. So I think one of those things for the fans uh, and that's it. it, it's, it's, it's hardware or bust almost every year for, for the fans here. That's, that's how they determine whether it's a success or not. I was going to say they have a really good crack at the U.S. Open Cup because they're only going to play a couple games before they throw teams <laughs> in. Yeah, but they got to do it. They got to do it at the beginning of the year with like no that's, preseason under their belt. That's true. There's now that's yeah. a big concern. I, I, you know, I didn't even think about that today. Is that those all getting canceled down there? So yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, if they're not playing any more. games, they got to start against KC and LA. <laughs> it's like that. That's a tall order to get in on those first three games. Well, hey, if they win those, they happen. deserve it. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Did you, uh, uh, since that's the last question, did you want to plug any uh, of your stuff again here on where people can find you? Yeah, uh, you could find, um, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Joe Goldstein, although I'm not quite as active as I used to be there uh, for, I think, mental health reasons. I think that it's fair to say, you know, you, you dip into the social media stratosphere for long enough and uh, it could be enough. <laughs> Uh, you could also find me at uh, seeingredny.com for the Seeing Red podcast, where we talk all things New York Red Bulls, uh, week in and week out, uh, myself and Mr. Mark Fishkin, who's been doing it since, I think, 2009 as well, maybe 2010. I'm on the show. I should know this, but uh, I'm going <laughs> to say it wrong anyway. Um, and of course, uh, Raising Bulls, you can follow us on Twitter at RaisingBullCast, and uh, we are all things RB2. We're part of the Beautiful Game Network. Uh, lots of great folks over there. Lots of good shows. And that was Joe Goldstein from Seeing Red. Uh, what were your thoughts on uh, the the New York Red Bulls Logan after speaking with Joe? Yeah, so, uh, you know, so I, I watch Extra Time all the time. I listen to those guys um, and, and David Gass just like, he talks a lot about Red Bulls because he, he covers them and he, and I don't know if he's a supporter. I haven't listened long enough to, to know if he supports them or what it is, but he knows a lot about them. Um, and, and I know that he's covered some because it's in his, his tag, but um, you know, I think he, he, he made solid points too, that this team is just so young and, you know, I, and they, 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 the, the point of this league is is a team can be successful if you, you have a sense of direction. And I think under arms, they really didn't. I don't think they had much of an identity. Um, and right now it's weird because Struber coaches one game against Columbus crew in the playoffs. And, you know, he, he, that's not really a game that you want to open your, your coaching career with, but, um, but they played them pretty well. I mean, fair, fair for, for a team that, um, I don't think expected to go much further than that, especially with a new manager stepping in for that first game and, and really heading them up on the, on that side. So, you know, I, I think that 
my main takeaway is that this is a very young team that that's having to learn a new system that's having to figure out kind of its identity and figure out where exactly it's heading in 2021, because I'm, I'm you know, after talking with, with Joe and, and understanding kind of what the press has said and asking, you know, different people about, you know, what do you expect from Red Bulls? Um, and if you go over on our Twitter, we actually asked our followers and listeners what they thought. And they think that, um, that this is probably a, a bottom of the Eastern uh, conference playoff seating. Um, so like a seven, maybe a, a six, if, um, if they can get pieces to fall in the right place. But um, I, I'm, I'm taking away from it that they're a very, very young team and you just don't know what, ex- what to expect from a young team like this. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, look, I'm so used to Red Bulls bringing in youth, but also having experienced players yeah, to help them right. and they win tournament, you know, not tournaments, <laughs> they win supporter shields. They don't ever win cups. And uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes for this year. Cause I don't think they're strong enough to win any trophy this year. So um, unless if they did somehow qualify for the Open Cup, then they have a shot, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, I think this team is so young. All the depth is young. You know, they sorely lack the BWP up top. I'm not sure why they ever let him walk away. It, it's that kind of stuff. Uh, Luis Robles, who was goalkeeper there before he joined Miami and then retired. Um, you know, th- there are some pieces here that I think – they really lost a lot. They had Dax McCarty, you know, they lost a lot of leadership. They lost a lot of uh, experienced players and I'm not sure how that's going to pan out. I think obviously they'll be better than they were under Armas. Um, if not results wise, play wise, you know, that they'll be uh, probably better to watch and uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, I, I just don't see them really competing for – look, they could probably sneak into the playoffs. I, I think they could probably get the seventh spot, really. I think they could. But I think this is one of those teams where we're not going to be sitting here talking about getting that f- top four spot, you know, that everybody's been coveting uh, to have a home right. playoff game. Uh, so that, that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, I, I agree. Like It's just – it's tough. And they're actually a team that I think could be – I mean, I really got to look at the the teams that we're previewing. I think that both New York teams are kind of on that weird cusp-ish. Um, and depending on what kind of signings they make, it can kind of send them one direction or the other, I think. And I, But, you know, with COVID and, and the pandemic, I don't see anything um, big happening, at least, you know, for for some of these teams that are on on that cusp of getting into the playoffs. But like you said, seven uh we haven't really sat down and bro- you know sat down and filled our our own little uh power rankings out but not yet um, but uh i think you're very accurate i think this is a team that seven and eight would not surprise me and eight now puts you outside looking in so um definitely an interesting conversation though i i i love the youth i think it's interesting um and you and i've talked about how important the youth is for this league uh to get on that next level i think so um they're kind of following suit with their young uh, talent and their young focus, kind of like the union do in, in Dallas too. So looking forward to, to seeing what they can put together this year. All right. Well, let's, let's get into our outside the box segment. So let's go ahead and get over to that. 
Now it's time for some outside the box thinking. Outside the box is a segment where we ask a question related to U.S. soccer and to do a deep dive into our thoughts on this. And this week, the question is about the Liga MX MLS merger that keeps getting rumored year after year. Would a merger for MLS and Liga MX be good for the growth of MLS and maybe just soccer in general in the U.S.? I pitch that question to you, Logan, first. Yeah, so I was I was in thought today for a little bit about the question. It didn't take That's rare. long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're lucky you're on the other side of that screen. <laughs> sorry you set me up for it sorry go ahead oh man oh gosh now i just completely lost my train (laughs) okay so i wasn't ready for jordan's uh, wittiness today no uh, bringing the heat (laughs) i absolutely so no it was pretty good but no i you know i was sitting in there and thought like i often do and uh looking at the teams and there were 18 clubs right in league mx um and, I, and I'm thinking, too, like, the more we go up, so I think that we're eventually going to get to 30 or 32 seems to be what I think they're going to end up settling on here in a couple of years. But, um, I, you know, looking at the number of teams, looking at just how much they can impact, like, economies around the stadium, just kind of my short answer was just, like, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense as far as uh, geographical. Uh, it doesn't make sense as far as, uh, you know, travel. It doesn't make sense as far as, um, you know, TV rights or TV deals or money. Uh, and I know we'll get into a couple of these things, but uh, honestly, I did, I look at this and I, I think of it more of like a thing that one, I don't think it would help anything. I think if anything, you would be bringing um, a, a select few clubs from Mexico just kind of like you did with Canada and you'd be making a bigger North American league and I, I just don't see where that's been official for Liga MX or um, the MLS or the Canadian leagues or the Premier League in, in Canada so I just don't I, I don't see it I don't see it as being a good thing for growth I don't see it happening I, I think it's a, a fun thing to talk about but again I just don't see the move benefiting many people can it work? Yes. I think there's a way to work. And actually I'm going to give him a shout out Philadelphia union fan, Mike on Twitter. That's at Thomas one nine zero six four last year came up with a system on how it could work. We're not going to go fully over it here, but you can find it. Some people were sharing it again today. Um, but uh, you know, he kind of had it split up by like you play kind of like, having the Mexican league be almost like out of conference, right? So you play in conference games being other MLS teams and then outside of the conference, you would face some Mexican opponents and then, you know, you would get seated and stuff for the playoffs. He, he had this whole like drew up charts and everything for it. So I really implore everybody to look, look for it. I might look for it on stateside and retweet it as well. So people can find it, but uh, it is, it was interesting. Do I think it's good for the growth of MLS or soccer in the USA? No, uh, I don't. Um, look, we had somebody respond to us. This is at no pro rel for MLS says it would be 
highly beneficial if it was set up so that a team had promotion and relegation into separate North American leagues made up of 10 teams from both leagues saying that let's say all three of these are top the top tier in American soccer and you just kind of shift between the three right uh maybe that could work uh the issue is um logistically there's a lot going on here you I don't think you would still have promotion relegation I still don't think uh, you know Liga MX would have to adopt a salary cap I don't think we're going to lose our salary cap at this point and the idea here right is that okay the most watched league in the U.S. is Liga MX and those games generate a lot of buzz but just because you put them in the same league as MLS now does that mean they're going to watch uh Orlando versus Red Bulls if you're a Mexican fan that follows Club Tijuana or Club America or Santos Laguna, are you worried about watching Orlando Red Bulls? Probably not. Especially it depends on how you split up the league. Plus you add on the added travel that this would cause. Um, like I know we already travel a lot around our whole country in the, you know, three Canadian cities, but if you had to add like 18 Mexican cities into this, uh, it's going to add a lot. Uh, you're, you're, if that happens, you're rarely ever going to play these teams, and that's the whole point of ha- them adding into this league is to play against them uh, to make the league better. Look, Liga MX got rid. Uh, I think Liga MX actually wants this more than MLS does. I'll say that much. I feel like the rumors are always coming from there, and I think that they want it more because they see the closed league system, which they just adopted or paused relegation for the last few years. They probably see salary cap as a plus because they don't have to worry about wages getting out of control, which means more profits for them. If they, if they keep getting all the same sponsorship money and they keep getting all the TV money that they do as Liga MX now, but then are able to put a salary cap on it, then they probably going to make more money overall. Uh, MLS would want this probably just for those Liga MX viewers but we are already doing this with the league's cup and the Campionas cup that, and the champions league that I'm not sure this, this helps at all. I mean, the, the only thing that would really help it is that you're constantly playing against Liga MX teams, but I think the Liga MX quality is going to go down because then they would probably have to deal with a salary cap. So it doesn't really solve that problem overall. And in fact, I think the best way is just the way we're going forward right now with CONCACAF champions league, being regionalized and where we're going to play these Mexican teams a a, a bunch going forward in 2024 and onward. I think that's the best thing for the league. I I think it's, there's just too much logistics. And I I understand the one guy, like I said, uh, at uh, no pro rel for MLS also says, why would the head of FIFA give his blessing? If not that it's already being actually talked about. Well, you know, he could have just been asked a question and he would have been like, yeah, it sounds good. Like, and there's just too many logistics to deal with. It's, there's not even close to a done deal or else we would have heard a lot more about this. I think it comes up once a year at this point um, since like 2019. And I'm just not sure how it would logistically work. Uh, I don't think any of these leagues would want to institute any sort of relegation into this. 
Liga MX paused it. MLS doesn't have it. I don't think that makes any sense for an MLS Liga MX merger. And then you have to figure out what teams come into it. Do all teams come into it? Then you have 50 some teams. How do you sort that out? You know, you're at that point, you're going to be in divisions. You're only going to play your division, some teams out of the division and that's it. But then you're not actually playing against these teams. So it doesn't matter. And it's, it just would seem gratuitous and pointless. And, and when you look at world football, you just don't, you don't see, I mean, and they've been established for a lot longer, but um, just, I mean, their countries have been around a lot longer and their teams have been around a lot longer. Their leagues have been around a lot longer. This is, uh, this is uh, uh, timely though. There was yeah. the Belgian league right. has agreed to join the Netherlands Eredivisie. I believe it was Netherlands that they're trying to join. Yeah. And now, that's still not a done deal. We, we have no idea if the Netherlands is going to accept it, but it's just the Belgian league has voted for it. So if this happens, this would actually be the second case of that happening in the recent years. Yeah. But I mean, if you look at, if you look at the big successful leagues, I just don't see. And, and, and two, like if you look around the United States, if you look around American football, if you look around baseball, if you look around basketball, there has been a lot of hesitancy um, between not just the leagues itself, but government and, uh, and there's different conflicts that you have to think about there. Uh, you've got travel restrictions, you've got, and especially right now um, you've got travel restrictions. And then obviously between the borders, it's, it's always been something that's been an issue with trying to get a league or two passed together. And, and then also talking about like the stability of the United States leagues and, They've always been hesitant to want to involve Mexico uh, just because sometimes the stability isn't been there um, with some of these clubs um, or some of these teams where they're afraid if they put a team in Mexico and it, and it, it fails, then, then that's a lot of money that gets thrown out, the, out in the trash. And I know that that's why they've been hesitant with football. I know that's why they've been hesitant with basketball and stuff. I, I will say like CONCACAF, the, the Champions League, why not – why not really just, I mean, if you're going to focus so much on a merger, why not make this like a, a big event? Like not, why not like, you know, really pump money into it, get, you know, get the TV rights, get different things that you need to make this a successful tournament, pump in advertisement, get people involved. Um, the frustrating thing is they are starting to do that. I right. think just recently they made a TV deal with, um, to broadcast outside of our region, you know, like Europe. I think there's like some, some areas outside of here that are, you know, making TV deals with CONCACAF for the Champions League. And I think, you know, we've seen them, they're going to be reformatting. We have, um, I, I think that is an effort for it. And I think the, I think they are trying to put more money into it and really try to pump it up. The The issue with the Champions League, right, is that there's two strong leagues in this region. It's the MLS and League MX, right? Canada just started their CPL, so they're, they've had some teams in MLS, and now they have even more. As that continues to grow, that'll help. You know, we've seen some of these Honduran teams and Costa Rican teams, uh, you know, have their profile go up a bit with this competition. 
the issue, you know, when you look at Europe and UEFA Champions League, you have what you have the the Dutch league, the French league, the English league, the you know German league, the uh, Spanish league, all these league, Italian league, where they've been playing soccer for so long at that level that it has that history there while here we're still really getting it off the ground in some of these countries like they talked about in the dominican republic for Concacaf qualifying you know baseball is the number one sport in the dominican republic soccer slowly coming up there or quickly i guess i don't know um that i think a lot of this region is kind of like that when you look at those caribbean islands and, and you look at that there's a lot of baseball soccer is really starting to push into those areas and then that is going to help. And, and we're helping that with some of these MLS teams and USL teams, even signing players from there. And uh, it's making all these countries better, which is making qualifying harder, but hopefully then increases the champions league here, which then might draw other players to want to come here and play in this champions league. Uh, hopefully, uh, especially look, here's the thing too. I mentioned this on the final third too, that you heard, uh, when I gave my like three or four step plan is that the, the Champions League, if they go through with this UEFA overhaul where it's 10 group stage matches, or if they change it to like they said before, like a single table Champions League, that's going to take a lot of the allure of the Champions League off, right? The Champions League is fun because you're playing in a group. It's almost like a World Cup. You play in the group, you get to the knockouts, you get to a final. If they start moving it to like a table format, I don't care about it anymore. I really don't because I want to see meaningful matches where they're in knockout stages. You know, I don't want to see like, Oh, and then we play, you know, 30 some champions league games as well. And the team at the top of the table there wins it as well. You know, like that is to me is not interesting. And and if you keep adding more teams to it, if they keep expanding it, uh, or expanding how many games it is too, because that ten group stage games is a lot when we're already in this crowded calendar. It's it's you know people might not you know it it might ruin the Champions League at some point. So if they keep making changes to it, it it'll definitely. I mean, uh, like what you said, it, it, you lose interest in that completely um, just because. That's the whole exciting thing, especially when they've talked about that in Europe too. It just takes out the fun of like, if you had a super league, then what, what's the, and then why, why even watch that? That's not fun. Um, it, it's taking the allure out of, of what makes it exciting out of, you know, which, which of the four teams can do something in the champions league is really exciting. Cause we're sitting here going, you know, these are usually our four best teams that we're running out here. Can they, you know, compete with some of these Mexican teams. And when you put them in a group and, and you really have, a, you know, a table kind of format, um, it, it does, it, it takes away a lot of the fun and, and kind of the thrill of like, can your team match up against some of the giants and other leagues? Um, when you add in everybody else, it's kind of just like, okay, <laughs> this is like a free for all. So it's, it's, you know, this team might be that team, but they're not better than that team, but they're good for this team. And it's just, it isn't, it's not fun, but, uh, you know, going back to the original question, I think that like, absolutely it would, it would increase the quality of play. Um, anytime you can add quality that like, like Liga uh, MX, uh, I think that you're adding really good players. You're adding really good teams, um, legendary teams um, over here in this continent. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's definitely enticing. I, I just don't, 
I don't see where it works. And everybody's answer to how it will work always seems to be uh, the, the one that you and I really just don't like at all because we just don't see it happening with these owners is, is relegation. Everybody thinks, oh, we can create something kind of like the tier system over in, in Europe. I'm like, no, it's not. That would never work in the United States. You would not have, because they're like, oh, well, they've got big money over there. They've got money in, in those teams. I'm like, yeah, but they've gotten to a point where those teams aren't scared at all of getting relegated, where the MLS right now, you have some big investor come in, spend a ton of money, um, you know, like with a group with like Miami, like you'd spend a lot of time and money on that. And then your team gets sent down. You, you Those investors would withdraw their money so quickly um, you just, it, it won't work. It, there's no way it could work with the relegation system. Yeah. Like I mentioned, none of those leagues want it, you know, <laughs> Liga MX paused it. MLS doesn't have it. Owners wouldn't want it. And the owners are the ones that vote to make this stuff go through. So look, <laughs> this is one reason why relegation is probably not going to happen. This could be a whole nother question uh, at another time is because all the if you took all the owners of the of the English leagues right now, they would vote to abolish relegation. No problem. A lot of those owners are not even English anymore. Of course they would vote to remove relegation because it hurts their pockets. If they can say, look, you have you have uh, Sheffield who's about to go down. If you could say, hey, do you want to vote to abolish relegation and you never go back down? They'd say, yes, I keep all the Premier League TV money. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's why it'd be tough sell to tell all these MLS owners you bought into a closed league, but let's open it up. Let's open it up so Mexican teams can join in. They'd be like, wait, that wasn't what I signed up for when I bought this team. And, and that would be the tough sell. So I can't see it actually happening. If it happens, it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to take uh, 10 years to probably sort out at this point. Uh, our Twitter poll answers were 25% said yes, this would help the uh the mls 33.3 percent said maybe and 41.7 percent said no remember the question was not do you want it the question was would it be good for the growth of mls 41 percent said no that's the majority of votes we still have 17 hours left at the point we recorded this so those numbers could change by the time you find this or listen to this podcast but as it stands now uh, the overwhelming majority says no. And are you surprised by that at all, Logan? No. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of reasons why. Um, I, I'm not shocked because of the whole, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of angst right now between the two. Anyway, the, the leagues don't really like each other. Uh, the fans have never liked each other. Um, I think it's more of a fan thing. I, th- yeah. I mean, like with them coming together for these league cups yeah. and everything, I-, I think that they're testing the waters for right. it. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't like a fan base. I don't, I don't see the fans getting behind this. Right. Um, because then, I mean, it does become like a, and, and maybe the, the guy that was tweeting back and forth with us is right. That like, you know, maybe they do create kind of a smaller league, but that, that's, again, that's taking away the allure and nobody would watch it. Like they would want to watch this super North American league. But that being said, you know, what, what real, what real, uh, I mean, what real promise comes out of having a, a league that's not your own. I mean, just, you know, you don't, you don't look at the American side of it and say, Oh yeah. Um, you know, we own MLS. We've got the MLS here. You'd be like, Oh yeah, we play in the North American league. 
Yeah, it probably hampers the development of youth players yeah. as well because um, you you would end up – look, if you're going to have 50-some teams in a league, I'd rather those 50-some teams be all American teams so that way we can get into every big market and can ha- have them all have academies that are up and running. If you have 18 or 20 of those 50 being uh, Mexican teams, then, you know – you're you're not developing those players and uh so so i look we're never going to probably get to that number of just american teams anyway but i'm saying if we were to have 50 teams in this league i'd rather them all be american teams so that way they all have academies we hit all of the big markets like baltimore and we get all these youth players coming up through those uh teams instead of you know having to go overseas or or whatever um any last thoughts on on this question? No, I think it it's it, it's it's always going to pick up steam, especially when you still have the same commissioners. But um, and I know there's been like ongoing conversations that they've had since they've both been um, in that head office. So the, you know the conversation will continue. Uh, it'll always continue, especially when especially now too. Like it'll heat up again right around this Champions League because you'll you'll have teams playing against each other that are from both these leagues, but. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I just don't, I don't see it being good. I don't see it being, and like you said, Jordan, it kind of, I, I didn't even think of that. The amount of time it would take to figure this all out. God, it would be like 10 years of just a mess of a league. Like you just, I don't know if you would have any kind of idea as to what, as to what to expect or, you know, really to jump on board with what teams you support or like, it just becomes a whole different topic. And then to be a hot mess of a league. Before we get out of here, I do just want to update uh, some of this (laughs) injury situation for the union as we look ahead to next week being this episode is releasing on Friday. Next week is the Champions League first leg at Saprissa. So Casper Shabelko has received an injection in his back, but he has missed the last eight to ten days of training. They hope to be back at – he hopes to be back at training next week. Corey Burke is looking less and less likely for next week. Sergio Santos may be ready for the second leg. And Jack DeVry, Jack DeVry was actually on the injury list today as well. So this is all coming from the Brotherly Game at Brotherly Game on Twitter. Uh, this must have been during the press conference. So Fontana may not be the 10 going into this game. He might be a, a false a false nine going into this game because we have no striker. And and he's got to play both <laughs> positions. It's not called false nine. Like they, they're going to place. Maybe they'll have to move and... Montero up to the 10 and have Fontana <laughs> as a, as a false nine or something. I don't know. This is uh troublesome. I think on our Monday episode, which we're going to be recording soon, we should probably do our previews for, uh, for these champions league matches and see who we think is going to reasonably have a shot at winning the first leg. Uh, the union is falling way, way down on that list. I couldn't get tech- tickets to the home game. So uh, might be good. We might already be going back to Subaru park, like three nil down <laughs> at that point. <laughs> I mean, I, I just don't know anymore, man. I, I'm really down on look this team won a supporter shield. They got money from their, from their, you know, Aronson and, and um, McKenzie. 
but uh, they put none of that money into the team right now. And uh, it is thin and, and that's why, and that is why we're going through this issue right now. And we wanted to always qualify for the champions league. I'm happy to be there, but if we don't put up a reasonable fight just to get out of this first tie, then that that's disappointing. Yeah, I don't – Jim Curtin better be calling in some some backup that he's going to have. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, you're, you're liable to see Paxton Aronson make some kind of appearance here because, I mean, that's a really thin list. If you're looking at their depth chart, I mean, you just named four of their, their five. They've got Sullivan back up there. Um, and then, like you said, you've got a couple of attacking midfielders that could fill in. That'd be fun to, to have Aronson kind of suit up. And even if he's just on the bench, um, little Aronson – um to, to kind yeah, of yeah he may down. have to be on the bench this is nuts like if you seriously go look at the depth chart listeners um <laughs> jordan just named everything that could score <laughs> I, I listed every striker pretty much is out for the foreseeable future so we'll see how it goes um if you want to contact us and tell us how much the union are going to lose by you can tweet us at stateside show <laughs> on twitter instagram at stateside show facebook.com slash stateside show or email us stateside show at gmail.com uh, we are going to be going live for houston san jose match on espn plus we are going to be doing that live on youtube uh twitter and twitch maybe yeah twitch three yep. um so follow us for that. Obviously, we can't stream the game, but we will be watching the game not on the screen, so you can't see the game. No breaking of laws. And we will be giving our thoughts and, and commentating on how we think the match is going for the first match of the season for MLS. So I'm really excited about that. That is the 16th of April, so prepare for that as well. And we will catch you all next time. Throwing his body in, it's going to fall for Ibrahimovic! Oh, come on! Come on! Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the U.S. Men's National Team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL. This is Stateside Soccer Show, presented by Stoppage Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.